Welcome back to the Durst Show. Today was my day for the Supreme Court. Uh, my day this morning started with uh, an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal that I wrote and they published entitled, The Public Has a Right to Know Who Leaked the Dobbs Draft. Um, those of you who watched uh, the Durst Show on uh, Wednesday last week know my views on that. And um, I stated those views and others obviously, in, in the Wall Street Journal and got hundreds and hundreds of, of comments um, about it. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that mostly in, in the letters part. But I also um, watched, didn't watch, listened, I, could, I couldn't watch, listened to the uh, argument, four or five hours of Supreme Court argument today in the lawsuit against uh, Harvard University, which course, I was an employee uh, for for 50 years, and I'm still an emeritus professor there. And the University of North Carolina, you know the case, um, a group, uh, there's an op-ed by the head of that group in today's um, Wall Street Journal as well, Students for Fair Admission. Um, they brought a lawsuit against Harvard and North Carolina claiming that the admission standards today, which give a tip at least, maybe more, to uh, students who identify racially as Black or African American, that applying those standards at these universities, particularly at Harvard, effectively discriminated against Americans of Asian background. And the, the data they provided was quite overwhelming. Um, I, I like the Dean of Admissions at Harvard. He's a terrific guy. and I've, I've known him for years and he's produced great classes at, at Harvard. But um, Harvard has had a long problem, a long history of misusing uh, admission criteria. Let me, let me just start with a little history. In the 1920s, um, President A. Lawrence Lowell, who hated Jews, Catholics, um, um, uh, gays, African-Americans. He was a, just a first-rate, uh, horrible bigot. There are holes named after him at Harvard still to this day. But he looked around and he said, you know, there are too many damn Jews at Harvard. Um, they're, quote, overrepresented. Uh, they're only 3% of the population, and they're, what, 15 20% of the student body? That's what happens when you have meritocracy, when you admit people based on how well they did in high school, what their test scores were, what their accomplishments were. That's terrible to admit people on the basis of meritocracy and produce so many Jews. Oh my God, that will, he said, cause anti-Semitism. Yeah, he actually said it. He said, Christians will come to resent the fact that there are so many Jews. So if you want to reduce anti-Semitism, this bigot, Lowell said, reduce the number of Jews. You know, he's right about that. If you kill all the Jews, uh, as Hitler said, uh, you're going to eliminate anti-Semitism. There was very little anti-Semitism in Germany after they killed all the Jews. And, and, and you, you take that to its admission context conclusion. If you don't admit Jews to Harvard College, there'll be much less anti-Semitism because there'll be fewer Jews. That's the absurdity to which President Laurel Lowell took his position. So what did he do? He wasn't allowed, learned at hand, wrote a letter to him, what a great judge. I've written about this, so I'm not just uh, making it up. Um, 
Lerner Hand wrote a letter to him and said, you just can't discriminate against Jews this way. Lowell wrote back and said, no, 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 it's, it's because Jews cheat. And, and he said, what, Jews cheat? Yeah, they steal. Yeah, 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 Jews steal. And, and so Lerner Hand said, what's your evidence that Jews steal? He said, 50% of the books stolen from the library last year, 50% were stolen by Jews. And then, of course, Lerner Hand looked it up, and there were two books stolen. One was stolen by a Jew. And so they were, they were, they were 50%. Um, but, but he, he acted on, on, that, uh, on that bigotry. And he decided, because Lerner Hand and other alumni didn't want him to have an explicitly anti-Jewish quota, which eventually they had. Yale had, Princeton had, Dartmouth had, they all had it. When I went to Yale Law School, there was an 8% quota for Jews, 8%. Not a number more. You had a fit within the quota. Uh, they didn't claim they had a quota, but they did. And many women's universities continued that anti-Semitic quota for years. When I was teaching at Harvard, we discovered that women's colleges still had anti-Jewish quotas. Wellesley, Smith, um, uh, some of the others. Um, in, in any event, Harvard, through this brilliant bigot Lowell decided we could figure out a way of keeping out the Jews without anybody knowing it. What we'll do is we'll introduce holistic approaches to admission. Not only do you get in based on meritocracy, on your grades, on your high school performance, on your research. No, no, no. We're going to have interviews where you can tell who's a Jew. We're going to ask them to put on their application a picture and their mother's maiden name. So in case they're only half Jewish, their mother's maiden name comes up. And not only that, we'll establish character committees. And the Bar Association did the same thing. They established character committees. And of course, you looked at the data, and the Jews got lower rankings on character than anyone else, even though they had good grades and good uh, test scores. So what do you think Harvard is now doing? They've established character groups and you get a ranking for how you do in terms of personality, in terms of leadership skills, all these subjective factors. And what do you think the data shows? The data shows that Asian Americans, Americans of Asian descent rank systematically lower on the subjective evaluations than any other group. Whereas African-Americans rank the highest. They're the nicest guys. They have the best personalities. They have the best leadership skills, all of that. But Asian-Americans know they have the lowest this, the lowest that. It's a pretense. It's a cover. And anybody would understand that. Let's assume you had a school in the South in the 1950s, and it used that process for admission. And the data showed that African-Americans systematically scored lowest in character and aggressiveness and personality and, you know, all these subjective factors. Would any court accept that? Yet the Supreme Court seemed to accept that today. At least several justices today seem to accept it. You know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. I'm sorry. The shoe has to fit on the other foot. You cannot allow universities to subjectively evaluate people in a way that systematically discriminates against Americans of Asian background. Um, if you think there's any doubt about that, let me give you a fact. You know, the, the university says we don't, 
discriminate. If you're Asian, you have just as good a chance of getting in as if you're a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant or black or, or Latino. They're not telling the truth. And let me tell you the best proof of that. There's a whole industry out there, and this is cited in the briefs in the case, a whole industry out there of helping people get into colleges. You pay thousands of dollars to help you get into colleges. And you know what the coaches tell you? If you're Asian, disguise that. Don't use that fact. If your name is Lee and you're Chinese by background, pretend you're a descendant of Robert E. Lee. Um, if you're Jewish, don't tell them you went to Israel. Don't tell them that you were active in your uh, synagogue. Disguise the fact that you're Asian American. Disguise the fact that you're Jewish American. You think any coach would ever say to an African-American, disguise the fact that you're black? No, no way. And let me tell you, these coaches know more about the reality of college admissions than any justice of the Supreme Court or any administration person speaking for Harvard or North Carolina. The truth of the pudding is in the eating and the truth of this admission process is in the coaching. Thousands of dollars are paid to coaches to disguise the Asian American background of folks who are admit, seeking admission. And, and, and I have to tell you, I know this in personal experience, that coaches have told the children of Jewish friends of mine, do not highlight the fact that you're Jewish. If your name is Cooper, you know, don't tell them that your name is Cooper and, and, you, and you're active in your synagogue. They may think you're a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, not a Jew, and you get an advantage. You'll get an advantage for that. And so there was one word that was thrown around tremendously, and it's the scariest legal word in the American vocabulary. And I'm surprised not a single justice focused on that. African-Americans are described as an underrepresentative group, an underrepresented group. Think of what that means. Underrepresented. By what standards? They're underrepresented because without race-specific affirmative action, there would be fewer of them admitted than their percentage in the population. Think about that for one minute. If there's a group that's underrepresented, inevitably there are groups that are overrepresented, that there are more of them admitted than there are in the population. That is the concept used by A. Lawrence Lowell. Jews were 3% of the population and 15% of the admitted class. That has to stop. You can't have people overrepresented. The same process was used in Russia. The same process was used in Germany. They had quotas based on the percentage in the population. And Jews were usually 2 or 3% of the population. And so even if 20, 30%, were highly qualified, only two or 3% would get in. That is the necessary implication of calling one group underrepresented. You have to describe other groups as overrepresented. And the end result is you have to have a system of admission that parallels the population. Number of wasps admitted, the number of Brahmins admitted, the number of Latinos, all have to parallel the population. They did that once before. And that resulted in the death of millions of Jews. Um, what they did, the United States, I'm not talking about Russia now. 
the United States imposed a quota system on admission to the United States as immigrants. And they said that you can come into the United States in proportion to the number of people from your country who are already in the United States. So that meant that uh, people from England, there was no quota, you can come in at will. People from other countries as well. But people from Poland, no, no, one or 2%. People from Italy, maybe a little higher. Um, people from uh, Austria, uh, you know, places where Jews live, Czechoslovakia. No, uh, that's what happened to quotas. That's what happens when you try to replicate the current population in admissions policies, whether it be admissions to the United States or admissions to colleges and universities. And the arguments today were so filled with hypocrisy. Here's the way the typical argument went in favor of Harvard and the University of North Carolina. Oh, 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 oh don't worry. R race isn't the determining factor. Race is only one of many factors, and nobody's admitted just because they're African-American. Don't worry, race doesn't really matter that much. So the justices say, well, if race doesn't matter that much, why do you need it? Oh, no, no, we need it. If we don't have race, the country will come to an end. If we don't allow racial admissions, the Solicitor General of the United States argued, it would endanger America, endanger the military, endanger corporations, endanger the American way of life. So we must use race, but we don't use race. No, 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 don't worry, we don't use race. Race is not a determining factor, but we have to use race, but it's not a determining factor. It's amazing how out of one side of the mouth came one argument, out of the other side of the mouth, the other argument, and there was no apparent worry about the inconsistency. So is race or isn't race a factor in admissions? Of course it is. And nobody can deny that. And it's race and race alone. If you have two people competing for a space in the class, and remember admission to college is a zero-sum game. For every person admitted, there's a person not admitted. So you have two applicants, one of whom's father runs a hedge fund that is worth a billionaire and and mother is a federal judge, and they're extremely light-skinned African-Americans who could easily pass for white if they, if they chose to, but they correctly and pridefully identify as black, as, as I would. I could, you know, my name Dershowitz, I couldn't pass, but I could change my name, as some family members did, to Dash, and maybe I fix my nose a little bit, and probably I could have passed for, if I couldn't, at least somebody else could have. Cary Grant could pass. Um, and and, and um, uh, others have managed to pass for years. So you get that person admitted, um, seeking admission, very wealthy, two parents, both of whom went to uh, elite colleges, um, billionaires, the kid himself went to um, uh, Exeter, uh, went to a prep school all through kindergarten, um, has had every advantage of coaches and tutors and uh, LS, SAT uh, prep scores and has spent thousands of dollars preparing him to get admitted. And notwithstanding all that, his grades are just a little bit lower than a kid from Appalachia who grew up with two parents who were on um, uh, pharmaceuticals and um, and one was always drunk and one beat the other and they got divorced 
and this kid lived on his own and uh, uh, went to elementary school, public school in a terrible area and went to a fifth rate high school, but managed to just just lift her himself up or herself up by their bootstraps and managed to get an 800 on the scholastic aptitude test and uh, other great grades on the ACT and got the greatest grades in the history of uh, Kentucky or whatever. What is the argument for giving an advantage to this rich black kid over this poor white kid? There's only one argument. We want to be able to take a photograph of the class that shows how many people who are black have been admitted. And the photograph doesn't even show it because there are some people who you couldn't tell based on a photograph. So we'll, we'll issue statistics and we'll say, wow, we're doing good. 13% of our class is from uh, an African-American background. Um, they don't indicate how many people come from Appalachia. They don't indicate how many people have struggled. I mean, one of the, the justices asked an interesting question. Asian-Americans clearly are discriminated against um, because there are too many of them. There are too many good, able Asian-Americans. At one point, I remember Harvard, a professor said to me when I was arguing against him, if we admitted everybody just on the merits, two-thirds of the class would be Asian-American. My answer is, so, that's okay. Um, but, but, uh, but there are too many. That's the argument. We can't have two-thirds of the class. We can't have half the class. We can only have a quota. We're not going to put a number on it, but we're going to have a quota. We know what the quota is. We know it when we see it. That's the way uh, Justice Stewart wants to find hardcore pornography. I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. Same thing is true with quotas. We know it when we see it. We know how much is too much, how little is too little. And so you, you get the situation where Asian Americans, there are too many of them. So the justice says, well, what if a kid who escaped from Afghanistan, whose parents were killed by the Taliban, come to America, works their way through school? Are they Asian American? Afghanistan is part of Asia. Asia, what is it, 40 percent of the, I don't know, 60 percent, a very high percentage of the world population lives in Asia. What is a person who escaped the Taliban in Afghanistan have in common with uh, an American of Japanese or Chinese ancestry whose parents uh, uh, own high-tech companies. Um, but they both, they all get grouped together. And that's what happens when race is considered. Blacks are, are grouped together. Latinos are grouped together. Jews are grouped together. And Asians are, are grouped together. That's just not American. And this is an area that separates true liberals from radicals. I am a true liberal. Justice Douglas, William O. Douglas, the most liberal person ever to serve on the United States Supreme Court in an opinion in the DeFunis case, back, way back, 50, more than 50 years ago, said, look, we understand the need for diversity, just not based on race based on economic opportunities and other factors that could play in. And, 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 and he said, but race is not a permissible classification. He's a liberal. I'm a liberal. I wrote the leading article back in 1979, law review article, critiquing the Bakke case and particularly critiquing the use of Harvard and reminding the readers of how Harvard's system 
began with discrimination and how it continues with discrimination. There were too many Jews back then. There are too many Asians now. But people now think, oh, my God, Dershowitz, he's become conservative. No, 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 no. I'm the liberal. The liberal is the one who says that admissions to college should be colorblind, that meritocracy is the route to colleges and jobs and everything else. Now, meritocracy should be broadly defined. It shouldn't be limited to grades. Of course not. It shouldn't be limited to SAT scores. Of course not. Meritocracy is holistic. It is based on the totality of a person's background. But the one thing it's not based on is race. It's not based on religion. It's not based on ethnicity. Those have nothing to do with merit. You're born that way. You don't convert into that. You could convert into a religion, obviously, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about racial and ethnic identity politics. And that's what's taken over today. And that's why I hope as a liberal, as a genuine liberal, there may be 11 of us left on the face of the earth, but I'm proud to be one of them. Conservatives hate me for it. And the radical progressives hate me for it. I am a genuine liberal. And as a genuine liberal, I hope the Supreme Court says unequivocally, race and race alone can never be considered as a factor, either positive or negative. The same rules that operate positively operate negatively. Just one more approach. Justice Jackson, who seems hell-bent on allowing race to be considered, and I understand that, um, she uh, constantly goes back to originalism, the 14th Amendment. We know what the 14th Amendment says. Uh, the 14th Amendment was basically part of the peace treaty between the North and the South after the Civil War, and it was designed to make essentially reparations, but to create equality between black people and white people and, 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 and particularly former slaves. And so she says that the 14th Amendment, if you take an originalist position, it allows you to take race into account in admission to colleges because the 14th Amendment was designed to help African-Americans, particularly former slaves. But you can't take a half-assed approach to originalism, you have to look at the whole originalism. Yes, originalism was designed to create equal, equal facilities, but separate but equal facilities. Nobody who was active in supporting the 14th Amendment, not Abraham Lincoln, who obviously died before it, it happened, but uh, was finalized. But nobody, nobody would have said the 14th Amendment was intended to allow black, a black man to marry a white woman. No way, no way the majority who supported the 14th Amendment would have said black children and white children had to go to school together. No, that wasn't the purpose of the 14th Amendment. That's why you have to look beyond originalism and can't focus just on the original meaning because it always cuts both ways. Yes, it cuts in favor of preferences for former slaves, but it doesn't cut in favor of preferences for people who come from the Caribbean or who come from Africa, whose family never had anything to do with slavery, or even the great, great, great grandchildren of former slaves. It was intended to help former slaves. The Freedman Association was designed specifically not to help black people who had lived in the North. There were other statutes that perhaps did that, but they were designed to help former slaves. 
that's over. We haven't had slavery in 170, 80 years. So we have to focus on what the situation is now. Yes, there's still discrimination against African-Americans. Yes, we have to combat it. And yes, those who have been discriminated against should perhaps get an advantage, but that advantage should not extend to the hedge fund guy whose parents went to Harvard and who are worth billions of dollars and who came from the Caribbean, who never had anything to do with slavery. Nobody in their family was ever a slave. Just because they identify as African-American should not give them one iota of an advantage, nor should being an American of Asian background or Jewish background or any other background give them an iota of disadvantage. The chips have to fall where they may. First, define meritocracy. Define it as broadly as you want. Just make sure it's meritocratic. And then you admit a class based completely on meritocracy. And you want to know something? You're going to get a considerable number of African-American people because African-American applicants today are terrific. Many of them are amazing and they should be admitted. And you're going to get a considerable number of Asian-American students and students of every background. What you might not get is a considerable number of, of athletes if you eliminate athletic preferences. The justices today uh, over and over again emphasize the fact that Harvard gives an advantage to squash players. And squash, of course, is a predominantly white sport. And they get an advantage. The children of uh, uh, legacies uh, get an advantage. None of that should happen. Uh, universities should have a purely meritocratic system. Again, you can define meritocracy very broadly, and you can define it in a way that impacts disparately and positively on people of color, um, because obviously there is a history of discrimination, but not everybody suffered from that discrimination. The kid who grew up in the Upper West Side of New York um, probably just had as much discrimination as I had um, uh, being Jewish. Um, but the kid who grew up in Appalachia or the black kid who grew up in Harlem, they deserve a break. But it can't be based purely on race. It has to be based on experience. It has to be based on what the person came through and where the person has gotten based on where they came from. That distance between where you came from and where you are now is an enormous factor and should be taken into account. So I'm not in favor of admitting people based on LSATs, best based on... To, let me make an admission here. Yeah, I had very good... I was a terrible high school student, but I was a really superb college student. I had great grades. Um, and um, But I didn't have a great law school aptitude test. For some reason, I was always a good test taker. I finished in the 94th or 95th percentile. Not enough today to get me into, into Harvard or Yale. Um, and, and so obviously, I, I don't believe, and it turned out to be a pretty good lawyer. Um, um, obviously, test scores alone don't do it. But if somebody had looked at my background and I said, oh, my God, he only got a 94 on the LSAT, but he was president of the student body, president of the debate society, um, president of this, every club I belonged to, I had leadership skills and was president of. On a meritocratic basis, I would have been admitted. By the way, I was admitted to Yale Law School off the waiting list. It was predicted that I would have a C average. Um, and I had to really talk my way into being uh, admitted. I remember my meeting with Dean Tate where, where I, I persuaded him to take me off the wait list. And he said to me, all right, you sure you want to go here? You know, you're predicted to get a C average. You might do better at NYU. 
And of course, I ended up with an A average and first in my class and editor in chief of the law journal. So Yale's process of selection and admission was not necessarily an accurate one. And we can do much better to improve uh, admission criteria. And we can look at what people have done outside of school. We can look at their leadership skills. We can look at the, their charitable contributions. You can look at anything. All I say in it is this, define the criteria in advance. What are the criteria for meritocracy? Define that colorblind without knowing how it would benefit one group or the other, and then let the chips fall where they may. I think I've mentioned this before, but the Torah, the, 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 the Jewish Testament, the Old Testament, as it's sometimes called, uh, has instructions for judges, and those instructions should be used by admissions committees to uh, colleges. And there are two rules for judges. The second one, the second is don't take a bribe, and universities shouldn't be taking bribes either, and they do take bribes, they admit students based on how much contributions, and certainly Harvard should never, ever have that uh, allowed. But the first criteria, not the second criteria, in the Bible, the Bible believed by Jews and Christians alike, it says, lo, takir, panim, do not recognize faces, do not recognize races, do not recognize genders, do not recognize ethnicity, recognize merits, meritocracy, who's right, who's wrong when you're in a court of law, not who you are. Identity politics is an anathema to equality. And so I'm hoping the Supreme Court will do the right thing. Too late. Should have done it 30 years ago. They never should have gone down this road of allowing race to be taken into account. But 22 years ago, the Supreme Court held that this should last only 25 years. And it's going to be 25 years now for the entering class at schools like Harvard starting next year. So better late than ever. The time has come to announce as a matter of constitutional principle, race and race alone can never be considered in any way positive or negative if you want to move ultimately toward a colorblind society. Well, I feel passionately about this, so we didn't have time for letters today, but we'll come back and keep writing your letters. And I promise I'll read some of today's letters and some of tomorrow's letters. Maybe I'll take a little bit more time to read letters tomorrow as a little bit of my affirmative action against people who didn't get to have their letters read today. So see you tomorrow.